I'm Charles Stanton. I'm on the faculty of the Honors College at UNLV and the Boyd School of Law. Are you ready? Hi, I'm Lana Weatherald. I'm a third-year law student. And welcome to Social Justice. Social Justice, a conversation. A conversation. Hello, my name is Lana Weatherall, joined alongside Professor Charles Stanton, coming out of the Boyd School of Law here in Las Vegas, Nevada. We're going to be your hosts of Social Justice, a conversation, airing every Thursday evening at 6.30 p.m. The goal of this weekly 30-minute program, brought to you by KUNV, is not only to provide insight and coverage surrounding topical and engaging subjects, but to discuss those subjects in a way that remains sensitive to the needs of the most vulnerable and marginalized people within our communities. The hope here is that facilitating a more in-depth and a less vitriol-filled conversation around social justice will help make these topics easier to broach. Of course, social justice is merely an umbrella term used for tackling a myriad of issues within our society. As such, this show expects to showcase conversations surrounding socioeconomic inequalities, feminism, intersectionality, systemic legislative issues, voting rights, and more. Although portions of these conversations may showcase some uncomfortable realities or truths, this country is in a state of deep and unsettling divide. And in that sense, facilitating an even-keeled and non-sensationalized conversation surrounding the most pressing issues seems necessary now more than ever. So there will likely be some esteemed guests featured on this program. Be sure to stay tuned as updates on guest features will be provided in the coming shows. The most sincere gratitude goes out to those taking the time to listen, to learn, and to try to love a little more. And with that, it's time to start a discussion to our first topic. Uh, good, good, good afternoon or good evening, everybody. This is Charles Stanton. I'm on the faculty of the UNLV Honors College and the UNLV Boyd Law School. I've given a lot of thought to the idea of possibly doing a show like this over the years. As a teacher, I deal basically with you know class, individual classes of students. But I've come to realize as time has uh, gone on that we, try to, we need to try to reach a broader audience. And a lot of what this um, program is going to be about is uh, myself and Lana trying to just exp- not only explain certain things, but make people aware of certain facts that they might not be aware of. We want to try to do a show uh, that is not like a lot of what's on radio today, which is uh, filled with more hate than light. Uh, We want to try to have people get into a conversation with us ultimately about not who's at fault as much as what can we do to make things better. So let me turn this back to Lana now. So I think one of uh, the biggest things we're, we're coming on today is a, um, a side-taking, right, and a divisiveness. And when we do try to broach these very important topics or topics that may have more sensitive nature, um, it, it tends to be a I'm right and you're wrong and not a uh, nuanced conversation that sort of gets into uh, the realities of these situations. And I, I'm just really excited that uh, we're going to be able to facilitate some more interesting conversations. So I think a, a good first place to start um, right now is, you know, we're, we're dealing with a... Uh, an interesting time um, for individualized power and for looking at authoritarianism. And when we think about what's going on with the appointing appointing of a special master and what's going on with Donald Trump today, former President Trump, right? Uh, I, I think it's time to think about what we really are doing in with positions of power in America and how we view um, people in positions of power Um and I think that this is very scary. Uh, we're opening the door for sort of one man can do no wrong. Um, and, and I worry about the precedent that will be set in the coming weeks with, with what happens here. Yeah, uh, it was very interesting on Saturday to hear the attorney general and the attorney, att- attorney general's address 
to uh, those people who were immigrants who were becoming United States citizens at Ellis Island and what he had to say to them, not only tying in his great appreciation and love of our country and his wishes for them, but also to try to impress upon them and anyone else who was listening that our country is a country of laws and that the law cannot be bent to serve a person because they're wealthy or they have all kinds of other advantages, but justice should be ultimately blind to color, race, ethnicity, and everything else that's related to those things and a, and a case just judged on its merits. And I think his, his words are very powerful today because so much of the dialogue regarding the situation with the ex-president really escapes the true facts of actually what has been happening. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing, that we need to look at what those facts were. And I think the other thing that's kind of interesting is the attack on our institutions, uh, the attack on the FBI, the attack on the Justice Department, uh, which is quite interesting because a lot of the people who were uh, on the Republican Party were always uh, posited as, as, as entities that were supporting law enforcement and supporting uh, basically the rule of law and, of course, uh, you know, the FBI and, and, and the police and everything. Now that, seems to, now that seems to be waning. I think the other interesting thing about that, you know, and people have said, you know, that it's about, you know, every, everybody being judged equally, that no one is above the law. But I think the extraordinary lengths to which the FBI and the Justice Department had worked to avoid having to actually do a search, that they had made repeated pleas to the president and the president's uh, uh, staff about the return of these documents. Of course, yesterday, Eric Hirschman, uh, who had been an attorney in the, in the White House, had also spoken directly to the president, and he told the president, you know, you really need to return, the, return these things uh, so they can be given to the National Archives. Uh, right. And this was late last year that Eric Hirschman had, had given these warnings. Uh, and I think you bring up a great point. You know, it is so interesting. You you have these sort of um, subsection of the Republican Party and, and a, a large, actually, we'll go a large portion of the Republican Party espouse the beliefs that you know we have to back the blue. And these are the people that are working on the ground. And these are the people that demand respect in our country. And then, you know, the second unsavory news or the second uh, it does not go their way. Um, all of a sudden, they don't espouse that same respect for our law enforcement, like sort of the point you made. I don't know how we reckon with that right when we no longer believe our institutions when they were the 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 thing that quite frankly won won you the election is this belief in you know a greater power and belief in trump and belief in law enforcement and then it it wanes the second it doesn't go your way i think that that is frightening Um, and i think it speaks to the larger issue where if you're not right you're wrong there's no nuance in conversation if the justice department and to a lesser extent the fbi does not cooperate in the way we deem necessary well then screw the fbi you know that just does not seem (laughs) when we're getting to that point i think we're no longer having realistic conversations about what's going on here Uh, and like you say then we're not talking about the facts we're talking about the choice to demonize an entire institution just because they do not uh not even necessarily rule in the favor because the special master has made no rulings but uh threaten the position that trump is in it's just very it's frightening yeah it's interesting you know our institutions have been under attack for a long time and some of the some of those wounds were self-inflicted uh if you look at the fbi in the case of larry nasser 
the doctor who abused uh, so many children and young women out in Michigan. Uh, you can look at uh, you can look at other other mistakes that the FBI made. It's also come from a lot of forces in the country who really don't believe in law as being applied fairly to everybody. And I think that's one of the issues that America has never faced as far as the treatment of minorities, the treatment of women, is not uh, really uh, following the, the dictates that every person should be judged equally. Um, there was a, a recently the, the news that the Justice Department is gonna be investigating the New York City Police Department for its lack of response in sexual abuse cases where women were coming to complain about the misdeeds of perpetrators and basically their, their complaints were not heard or they were put on the shelf or they weren't even investigated. You have all these different things, you know, the uh, uh, killings of motorists that, uh, who are stopped for minor infractions. So those are things that obviously has lessened support for the police, lessened support for you know, the courts when you, you have disparities of senten in sentencing. But right now, I think we're, we're at the point regarding, uh, regarding the ex-president where it really is a test of our whole system of law. And I, I think we would be very uh, mistaken if we did not look back at what the founders intended. And what the founders intended was there was no king, there was no sovereign, there was the people themselves deciding the future of their, of their, of their land. Um, I'm reminded of what Franklin said when he was leaving Convention Hall, and uh, he was asked by a gentleman, what have you done in there? What have you created? And Franklin said, uh, we've created a republic if we can keep it. No, I, I think that's a very astute observation. You know, I do uh, agree with you that the mistrust in our institutions that a lot of people do have is is well-founded. Uh, it's just not how that argument is articulated. You know, I don't think when these the FBI and the DOJ are, are subject to criticism. It's usually around their mistreatment of minorities or the mistreatment of that's not usually what the the conversation centers around, right? It's about misappropriating funds or it's about, you know, they're all liars. It's, it's never about what the real issues are. So I think you make a great point when you bring up what's going on in New York or what happened with Larry Nett. When you attack, I think, more of the systemic issues that start small, right? One individual guy, one, it, it shows that individuals in these institutions are susceptible to punishment and can be, but that's obviously when we're doing this at such a large scale with this special master. I don't know if that's that's the truth. But yeah, I think you make a great point that trust in our institutions has eroded and rightfully so. Um, but it's how we critique, I think, uh, those flaws within the institution that comes comes with problems. I, I don't think we critique these institutions properly. I don't think we hold these institutions accountable properly. Um, and, and it's how do we how do we do that beyond just you're wrong, I'm right. Uh, I, I don't certainly have an answer presently, but I, mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, at, you make a great point that this tr the trust the institutions is unfounded for a good reason. And I find it interesting, too, that the Republican Party was always the party not only of law and order, but of a very strong defense, uh, very supportive of NATO, uh, very wary of Russia, uh, you know, for a balanced budget, for all those things. And in a matter of a few years, all that disappeared. Mm -hmm. uh, the biggest tax cut in history basically some were supportive but not the whole chorus of republicans for our uh, uh aid to the ukraine 
also having to do with the fact that uh, where NATO was very, very preeminent uh, in our foreign policy, a diminishment in enthusiasm for NATO. And one can only wonder if the election results had been different uh, in, in uh, November of 2020, uh, whether we would still be in NATO. And certainly, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's a wild thing to say that I don't see it that we would have done anything for the Ukraine. Oh, absolutely not. If anything, I, I would have ventured to guess we would have been supportive of Russia's endeavors. You know, hard to say now, but it certainly seemed that way. And, you know, President Biden came under some strict scrutiny. I mean, some real harsh criticism came his way about this aid sending to Ukraine. And, and look where we are now. You know, I, I think um, he caught a lot of flack that was completely unnecessary for sending that aid. And, it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But look at how successful their military operations have been. It's been nothing short of, you know, extraordinary. Uh, and if you asked, I think, almost anybody three months ago, I think there would have even been hesitancy in the Democratic Party for the amount of aid we were sending. But, I mean democracy rules the day, I suppose. Yeah. And you know what's interesting, too, is that uh, recent events have shown us that we were right in in, in supporting the Ukraine. Uh, The discovery of the mass graves, the murder of innocent people, the torturing of people Mm -hmm. reminded me, it reminded me actually uh, of, of some of the things that went on in the Holocaust. Uh, they've been running this program on um, PBS. It, it's going to be on tonight. It's going to be on Tuesday. It's going to be on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Ken Burns, the documentarian, has done this documentary about the Holocaust, and you see a lot of the same things that were happening in the countries that were controlled by uh, uh, Nazi Germany. You're seeing the same thing now in what the Russians are doing, uh, which is basically. Uh, a genocide against people who are, are otherwise innocent people, uh, and as the more we dis- the more we learn about that, we, we know that we we're trying to to act on the side of good. Right, and as a whole, I think the, in our country too, you know, Ukraine aside, I think the more we move away from authoritarianism and we speak loudly and proudly that authoritarianism is not only where we're headed, but where we need to avoid. Um, I I think people are scared to use that word and people are scared Mm -hmm. to have that conversation or a dictatorship because then it sort of all melds together into one very scary proposition, right? But that is the reality. Um, We're starting to have people that, individual rulers, right, that believe they're above the rule of law. And for us to send aid to a country that believes in many of the same principles that we believe in uh, should have never been a question in my mind, should have never been, do we help our allies uh, defend the rights that we have fought so hard for 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 200? I I just, mind boggling, I think is the best term for for what we have um, sort of allowed um, a hint of authoritarianism to become normalized. Uh, We have never seen this sort of Putin-like, Trump-like regime in many, many years, like you say, Mm -hmm. since since basically Hitler. And I know that seems like a far stretch, but that's Mm -hmm. if we don't start noticing and making these comments now, this is we could lead to those type of situations. And we're already seeing hints and still levels of threats that that should make us wary that we could repeat history. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think, you know, a number of years ago, uh, Otto Preminger had made a movie called Advise and Consent, and it was about this man who uh, wants to become Secretary of State. And, of course, in his testimony uh, before the committee, he purges himself, uh, which, you know, sort of uh, some allusion can be made 
to some of the testimonies of people who appear before judicial committees and whether they're be, be, being fully truthful. But, but in the movie, a man comes to testify about, this, about the nominee's past, and uh, he says, you know, he said, that I, I listened to what this man had to say, and he said, he said that our country will not be overthrown by violence, he said. Our country will be overthrown by a withering of the institutions, a withering from within, that basically our, our, our values, our, our set of standards, our rules, our laws will become eroded and outdated. When that vacuum is created, then it's easy for some person to come in. If you look at what happened in Nazi Germany, that's how Hitler, Hitler came to power, that all the established norms were, were thrown out and you got basically uh, a whole bunch of people following this guy without even thinking of the consequences of what he was going to do. Yeah, no, I, I, 100%. And um, yeah, I, I think you see that not only here in, here at home, but um, you know, abroad as well. I think it ties back to our earlier conversation where if you know we allow these institutions to be viewed as sinister, we allow these institutions to uh, not be subject to proper criticism, the rest will crumble. And so you know, maybe the conversation starts with what can we do to help facilitate not only growth, not only change, um, but sort of a, a rewriting of where the errors came within our institutions. And, and I'm not just talking, you know, in Congress, I'm talking, you know, <laughs> starting at as small as the DMV all the way up to, con- you know, there are just problems, whether that be socioeconomic problems, whether that be, um, you know, problems of, of gender, whether that be, it, it's just numerous and it starts at the smallest institution and goes all the way up. Um, so I think you make a great point that if we strengthen our institutions, again, from as, as small the DMV to your local tax collector's office all the way up to, you know, the massive body of Congress. I think that and and this all sounds, I think, very broad or all very, um, you know, uh, I'm using flowery academic language to try to describe a problem that's very complex. And we just need to look at the but but it's 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 true. And I don't I don't think we can have a world in which we view institutions as one um, set historical figure body and we don't adapt and we don't these institutions need to be viewed as malleable again from the bottom up Um, and when we don't have conversations about institutions they become conversations about people within those institutions problems arise yeah Uh, i think i think one of the things we have not done in our country pretty much over the full length of our country's existence is really have honest conversations about a lot of the problems that bedevil us, uh, the treatment of uh, the treatment of minorities, uh, the treatment of women, uh, the the uh, cycle, the en- almost endless cycle of poverty, we've really never talked about it. We've never really come to terms with it, and we believe uh, a lot of us that these problems are going to go away on their own. And of course, that's not what happens in in the life of any nation. Uh, that problems only are eradicated if people of good of goodwill come together and try to work together. I think that one of the tragedies in our country today is how uh, divided we are as groups, as ethnicities, as as minorities, as uh, of reasons of gender, without realizing, of course, that you know under God everybody's the same. And we should be more. Look, we should be looking more for the similarities and things that we can agree on as people, and start from there. And then from there, start to get to know one another as people, because what we in in many ways, just as we still have segregation in many cities, 
we have segregated systems of thought mm-hmm. where everything is kept away from us, every source of news or information that doesn't agree with our preconceived notion of what you know, the truth is. Right. And a lot of the times the way these algorithms are set up on, on many massive social media platforms will prevent you from seeing opposite news as it as it starts, you know, opposing viewpoints at, from the from jump. Right. You will only see that, you know, small niche of your own Internet community and, and the algorithms are in place so that you only engage with that material. Um, and this starts young. You know, they they start targeting advertisements at very young children and then certain news articles at very young children. I mean, these are things that you end up creating and pigeonholing yourself into online communities and, and sometimes even in person communities are very good at that. But it, it's become more and increasingly common online. And and that just becomes so in echo chamber. So yeah, you know, you are 100% right, because the they have this problem where if you are in the in group, um, and you're only seeing things from the in group, well, then by nature, anybody that disagrees with you is in the out group, and you will treat them accordingly. And I, I just I'm very scared about as you know, geolocation technology becomes more advanced, and as data tracking becomes more advanced, and we, it will become more, 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 more compartmentalized, more divided. It will be harder to break into alternative internet groups or break into, you know, even a, a type of social media that doesn't have that sort of like, you know, you might have heard the be real coming up. I think mm-hmm. those kind of companies will even be harder to come to fruition because there's such an issue with capitalizing on human data and then using that data to create some sort of uh, mindset and some sort of uh, way that these people end up thinking. Frightening, frightening stuff. Yeah. And I think uh, in line with what you said, Lana, I think there's also become an attack on truth and objective facts. Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing that more and more where you see certain things that are clearly, you know, wrong legally. And I'm I'm not just speaking as an attorney. I'm speaking just as a a citizen. Right. And um, there's a denialism we have in our country. We know certain things are wrong, but, but because we back certain individuals, we try to look the other way. And, uh, you know, it's interesting how, like, uh, today, there's there's a whole set of alternative facts mm-hmm. as to what happens, what happens in elections, uh, what happens in uh, how the media covers things. Right. But there are there are objective facts. Absolutely, there are objective truths that everybody should want to find out what they are. And I think we need people to expand their horizons beyond just the media and uh, commentaries that they're used to hearing. I think people need to be more intellectually curious. I think people need to not only learn from one set of facts or one set of news, but explore a whole bunch of things. And and you know what? <clears throat> I, I will give some credence here to people that have difficulty doing so because so many corporate-owned media conglomerates only show a certain set of facts. And, and this is 
this is systemic. I mean, where the massive media conglomerates will only report what is beneficial to them, their bottom line. And and you it, it's very hard, I think, to get a clear non-biased picture anywhere anymore. I, I, I would be hard pressed to name a media conglomerate I can think of that is fully objective. I don't think that exists anymore. You know, even even C-SPAN will have a headline with an angle. Uh, so I, I do I, I do just really wonder about, you know, how could we create some sort of another social media platform, another media? Is there something that we can create that could sort of fill this gap? Or do we have to, like we've been talking about repeatedly, sort of take these institutions from ground up and start throwing people out, bringing people in, start changing the way we do things. I mean, it cannot, in my opinion, subsist in this way where we cannot get objective facts anywhere. It it, it cannot subsist. Otherwise, we will have a world full of half-truths, sort of like what what we have now. It's very, very hard to find objective truth and facts and mm-hmm. and data has become even data has become manipulable uh, malleable you know yeah, um yeah. yeah i think that i think that's right i think it's very interesting when i was when i was uh, in, in one of my classes i was talking about um the right to vote and of course the the essential importance of the right to vote is the participation of all of us mm-hmm. uh, no matter what our uh, what our social standing is I thought it was very ironic when we had COVID, uh, where we had all the uh, impediments and obstacles to voting, that we had a huge voter turnout. Mm -hmm. We had more people vote in the 2020 election than ever voted before. And now what is the response to that participation of all these people who voted and, and exercised their franchise we want to limit the right, right. to vote. Right, R- further restrictions on voting rights. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like it does not. It does not make any sense. I mean, it makes sense in this. It makes sense in this analysis that the demographic of America has changed, and the demographic of America will continue to change. And there are people in this country who do not want to accept the fact that the demographic has changed, and so a lot of these impediments to voting, whether it be gerrymandering, whether it be taking away the mailboxes for people to vote, are all, are all part of that. I mean, you know, you don't have to be a savant to understand or realize that when you look in a lot of the major cities in our country, I'll just use Houston, uh, Texas as an example, the, the attempts to really prevent people from voting, taking away their right to vote, and then, of course, the other thing that, that struck me as interesting is, you know, we talk about our country and we talk about our prison system, and that's, that's a subject for a whole other program. But what strikes me as fascinating is we, we ha- our system of justice is ultimately predicated on the fact that a person can be rehabilitated, and only the most severe criminals are given a life sentence. So the rest of the criminals are people who have been a, convicted of crime are sentenced to, to prison with the hope of being redeemed, with the hope of being rehabilitated, and then they go out in society. Okay, well let's take, well, let's take states now in our country where people get out of prison, they've been rehabilitated, hopefully, <laughs> and they want to engage in the acts of citizenship that the rest of us do, but they can't do that because they have to f- f- pay fines and fees and all the rest of this stuff to prevent them from voting, basically. 
Yeah, you know what? It, fascinating enough, I went uh, to high school in, in college in Florida, and that was on the ballot while I was in, in college, um, allowing the you know uh, felons convicted of nonviolent crimes mm-hmm. um, to to restore their voting rights. And you wouldn't believe the amount of vitriol. I went to a, you know a very very liberal college. The amount of vitriol people hold towards that idea, and then I don't think it's any surprise um, that Ron DeSantis narrowly, very narrowly, I might add, won that election. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Um, I don't see a reason why if we can hold the idea, it is false, but why we can hold the idea that, well, after prison, we've rehabilitated. You know, if we have this true belief in our system as a rehabilitation system, why then once you are released and quote unquote rehabilitated, you then aren't given the right to vote. Um, I, I, shocking. Um, I think you sort of need to uh, be a little hypocritical within yourself to, to believe those two things, right? That uh, the prison system is fine and good the way it is. And then subsequently, that felons can't have the right to vote afterwards. I don't, but many people hold those two uh, beliefs simultaneously, which is which is odd. Um, and and I do encourage you. Um anybody out listening here is um, in a jurisdiction in which felon voting rights or the restoring of felon voting rights is on the ballot, uh, visit rockthevote.org and make sure that you are registered to vote. Um, make sure that you know where your polling place is. If you want to receive a mail-in ballot, make sure you are able to do that um, because this this stuff is, is very important to the future of elections. Um, you know, we're not just saying it lightly. Uh, restoring the right, right to vote for for people that have been incarcerated in this country is, is I think, uh, a must. I, I think so. And we're coming... We're coming up on a, a, a very critical election in November, uh, a critical election because uh, we're going to see the response of the citizenry after the ruling on abortion. And uh, I think that the abortion uh, decision is a portent of things to come uh, from the court uh, regarding other rights uh, that we uh, we hold uh, precious, uh, but certainly it will be interesting to see how the public is going to deal with that. It's my belief that there's going to be a huge women's vote in this election. I mean, the numbers so far have shown a big increase in voter registration in a lot of in a lot of states, uh, and certainly in the state of Kansas, for example, where the uh, right to abortion was was finally uh, codified. Uh, We saw that. I think we're going to see it in Michigan, uh, where it's on the ballot. And uh, I think there there needs to be a movement uh, to put these things to a vote of the people. That is ultimately democracy. Uh, Democracy is not, you know, four or five or six or ten people get in a room and they decide basically whether a woman has a right to uh, bodily autonomy. I think that that the, the, the whole idea of it is, is so is so far out. I don't think really the magnitude. I don't really think I don't really think the magnitude of the abortion decision has really been acknowledged. The momentousness of the decision that you know a right basically that was established by law is basically being taken away. And all the ramifications of that, also from a health point of view, all the women who are now having to endure uh, life-threatening situations, uh, we're seeing that all the time as well. And yet there are people who are, who want, uh, who are in the Congress who want, to, uh, who want to a nationwide ban after 15 weeks 
Um, so. Lindsey Graham doesn't know anything as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Uh, all right. Well, I we are coming up on our 30-minute time here, and I think it's a good note to end on um, that definitely, uh, given the current state of our country and given the current decision that uh, if you're a woman especially, it may be uh, time to get out to the polls. An old cliche, but you got to vote. Get out there and vote. Um, with that, we thank you for tuning in for our first program. Um, we hope to catch you again next week. And uh, we thank you very much for listening and for KUNV for sponsoring this program. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to our show. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact us at Wethel1, that's W-E-T-H-E-L-1, at nevada.unlv.edu, or to contact Professor Charles Stanton, contact him at C-H-A-R-L-E-S, that's Charles.Stanton, S-T-A-N-T-O-N, at unlv.edu. See you next time. time.